Gunner, and I've been called many things. Gun enthusiast, monster hunter, doomsday prepper. I reject all these labels. What I am is a survivalist. I've scoured the dirt and dust of Nevada and Mexico, putting my life on the line to hunt supersized subterranean man-eating predators called graboids. Join me as I enter into and beneath the sands of hell. Welcome to Now Playing's Tremors Retrospective Series. This is important now. This is probably the biggest zoological discovery of the century. These creatures are absolutely unprecedented. Hosted by Arnie. I'm a masterpiece of self-destruction. Stuart. Well, I'm blessed with a sunny disposition. Most people seem to like it. And Jacob. You guys do what you do best. Find something simple and complicated. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Makes my skin crawl. Listener discretion is advised. And remember, life and survival starts here. Today we're discussing Tremors 2 Aftershocks, starring Fred Ward, Christopher Garton, Helen Shaver, Marcelo Tubert, and Michael Gross, directed by S.S. Wilson. Is that the boat that went on the three-hour tour and, and <laughs> they got lost on it? There's the minnow. Oh, okay. This is the now-playing co-host who's as nervous as a chihuahua, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is the host who always acts smart by being so stupid, Jacob. Aftershocks. You know what aftershocks are? Lesser. They're smaller. <laughs> they aren't as dangerous or involving or meaningful as the first one. But you'd be surprised. Universal was ready to make this one bigger. The first one had a $10 million budget. They were like, after seeing the video, let's do a second one. $17 million. Go. Oh. Did all that money make it to this one? Because my question's going to be, I'll just say it now. Why didn't this make it to theaters? This looks theater quality. It's like Terminator 2, right? You know, like there's an example, a perfect example of how a hit, certainly, I mean, bigger than Tremors, but it was that video and cable building of the cult that made them go, okay, we'll greenlight the biggest movie of its time for the sequel. Universal had two stipulations on this movie. I mean, they had the writer and directors all excited, but yeah, go make it. Just get back Reba and Kevin. Ah, that's all you got to do is Reba and Kevin and you get a check. Not Ward and Gross, because that's what they got. <laughs> well, you could get them too. I mean, I think get back as many as you could, but they had to be included. Reba said no because she was about to do a tour when this was scheduled, theoretically. Okay. Kevin Bacon has given three different reasons why he didn't do this. I mean, it's a straight-to-video Tremors film. Like, that's all he has to say. We'll understand, Kevin. Well, no, he was going to be... I mean, what Arnie's saying is if he had said yes, it would have gone to theaters. Okay, it would have gone to theaters then. Yeah, what he has said most recently is that it was going to be direct-to-video and that wouldn't have been a good move for his career at that time. But it, again, was supposed to be theatrical when it was $17 million. Right. He wasn't doing a lot of star parts at this point. If this could be his franchise, then, you know, that would have been good for his career. It's good for any actor to have something that is built around them. And the stuff I think about him making at this time was like River Wild or Apollo 13, things where he's supported. Well, while this was filming, 
he could do this or Apollo 13. He did Apollo 13 instead. Okay, so there you go. So that's an easy choice to make. And the third thing is, as I mentioned, while filming Tremors, he had a bit of a breakdown that his career was at a place where he was forced to do a movie about underground worms and so it didn't sound like he really wanted to make the first one let alone make a sequel to it so when that happened universal was like okay then since the first one did well on video go ahead make one on video here's four million. Oh, so all that money got cut but the original probably didn't cost much more than four million right 10 oh well, okay so that's substantial. That's a, yeah, it's been years later and you're making it for less than half of what you did the first time with admittedly some of the price tag actors not being there, but they're not $6 million worth of actors. You're going to take, you're going to have to make big choices about your production going forward on that budget. You're going to have less people, less money, what have you. S.S. Wilson ended up directing for free. <laughs> What? <laughs> the writers gave some of the money back. I mean, this was a passion project. I gotta figure, like, Michael Gross took a little bit of a pay cut to get that and Michael Gross as Burt Gummer credit at the beginning of this film. Again, what you would do to have a franchise that's built around you when you're an actor that's perceived as character or supporting. Yeah, I think that it's been good for Michael Gross. He Take that, Meredith Baxter Bernie. Like, you don't have any film franchise, and I've got a seven movies deep franchise. But this movie was filmed in 1994, didn't get released on video until April 96, and that's because they were doing some tests and Universal didn't quite know what to do. Test audiences loved this movie, and Universal was like, do we give it a little more money for CGI effects and release it in theaters? Uh, supposed to be direct-to-video, but it's testing like a theatrical film. So they spent two years trying to make this theatrical, and they did internationally. The same theaters that showed, like, the Incredible Hulk movies on big screen got this. <laughs> uh-huh. Illegitimate. <laughs> but they did try to see if they could do more with this after seeing what audiences thought of it. Now, why didn't Ron Underwood come back? I know that he did try to go and have a bigger Hollywood career. Again, comedies, city slickers. I went back to it, by the way. I don't know if you guys have seen it lately. Not since it was new. No, not in at least 20 years. <laughs> uh, whatever I will say about this movie, it would have been a better choice to make this movie than that one. I mean, that movie's terrible. Does it not hold up? I mean, I, I remember thinking it was funny when it came out when I was a teenager, but again, long time ago. The movie is terrible. I think whether you laugh and enjoy it has a lot to do with how much you have an appetite for Billy Crystal playing and mugging with calves. But beyond that, like, the thing I remembered about it was Jack Palance. He goes out of that picture really fast. Oh, my God. I can't believe he got an Oscar for that. He's barely in it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he gets to come back, though, when they look for Curly's gold. Didn't do it. Didn't want to. But again, <laughs> I'm going to say, Ron Underwood, you made the wrong choice. I would have rather done Tremors 2 than that movie. And then, of course, his career kind of fell apart right after that. He made a lot of Pluto Nash Oh. Yeah, he got a Razzie Award for that. Yeah. So, again, th that they're having the screenwriter step up. That feels in the family. This is someone that still cared about the first one and, yeah, has something to prove. Willing to work for free. That couldn't have hurt. Yeah. 
I can see that. He'd never directed before, at least not a major film. He'd done some shorts for the military, I think. But he was getting paid as a writer and get a feature film directing credit. I can see why he'd do that for free. I think most aspiring directors would do a film for free. Yeah. Did you get tricked? You went into Blockbuster, you saw the box, Tremors 2. Did I miss it in theaters? I never saw this box. I knew nothing about it until, again, I got involved with Now Playing and people started begging for this supposed franchise of Tremors. I'm just going to point out that I looked at the box art like I didn't know about this franchise. But yeah, I went and saw it. Like, the worms look smaller. I mean, everything is telling me this is a reduced franchise. Here's what I remember. I had to rack my brain on this. Because I'm like, I think I saw it, but... Like, I turned it on, so I didn't rent it. So, like, there was a period in my 20s where I had a cracker box that gave me every pay channel for free, including pay-per-view. And so I'd just watch whatever was on. My memory was I turned this on, found out it didn't have Kevin Bacon, (laughs) didn't even wait around to see if the new guy was actually playing the same character, because I hadn't seen the first one in so long I couldn't remember Kevin Bacon's character's name, and then I didn't pay any attention to this as it went. So have I seen it? Have I not? And then when I see the new creatures in this, I'm like, oh, I've seen this movie. But now that I'm thinking about it, I think they were in Screamers too, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, or Ninja Turtles. They look like the Mousers. They do look like Mousers, but I swear to God, Screamers 2 had this exact monster. So <laughs> I'm like, have I seen this film before or not? I don't know. I do know that I've seen this. I, I kind of dropped this in the middle of the last show. I've seen this entire franchise, and I've seen it recently because I didn't know we were going to be doing this. I had no idea there was going to be a seventh one. And look, it's quarantine. Things are tough. Like, uh, sometimes I just need to have some kind of routine. So it's like, uh, I'll take a box set of movies and just work my way through. And like in May, I'm like, hey, Tremors is going to be leaving Netflix soon. Let's watch the rest of those. So I plowed through all these direct-to-video sequels. So I have seen this one, and I haven't seen it recently. And and I'll just say, for this one, this is the one I probably remember the most, whether good or bad. Like, this is the one that I could probably recall the plot of the most. And I'm also going to point out, you have not seen the new movie. Nobody has. It hasn't come out yet. No, I have not seen that one. (laughs) So there is something to be excited about. It could be the best one yet. Who knows? But, okay, yes. I think we're all saying kind of versions of the same thing. This feels lesser. This feels smaller. But... Yeah, Jacob, you're giving me some indication that that there was still something about this that was theatrical and fun and memorable. I will say, yeah, I'm I'm surprised this did not get a theatrical release after seeing it. That's all I'll say for now. (laughs) I want to ask you one question, Jacob, before we get into Tremors 2. Yes. Were you dead set on watching all the Tremors films? Or could you have gotten into a space like Mangler where the sequels were so bad or some of the Children of the Corns that you would have aborted your mission to watch all six. I actually kind of planned on that happening. I I wanted to see how bad it would get and how fast we would get there. Like, would it be by movie two, three, four? Like, I definitely have thoughts about this franchise because I know what's coming. So I will just say, I don't think I would have turned them off. Though. I mean, frankly, the, the worse they are, probably the more entertaining I'd find them <laughs> at some point. Like, they stop being good and just start being brown arrows. So I shouldn't be heartened by the fact that you watched all six. No, no, because, yeah, there's definitely some not recommends for me. Okay. All right. 
Well, that's the weeks ahead. We're only on movie two here. And again, I never thought that there would be a need to go past Tremors 1. Like, it just, it signaled that to me. I just instinctively felt protecting of my of my mind and my body by just avoiding this. But we're here. We're going forward. Arnie, give them the plot. Let's find out about these aftershocks. Graboids have gone south of the border. They're now terrorizing an oil field in Chiapas, Mexico. So the oil company has called in the only man who's an expert in graboid killing that will return for the budget of this movie, Earl, again played by Fred Ward. They convince him to face the giant worms again when they promise $50,000 per kill. He's joined on this mission, for reasons I still don't know, by ambitious taxi driver Grady, played by Christopher Garton. Their hunt is initially successful, but when they need more firepower, Earl knows who to call. Bert, again played by Michael Gross. Bert is depressed about his wife having left him, so nothing to lighten the mood more than killing graboids. But the three hunters aren't prepared for when a graboid gives birth to a handful of smaller beasts. These creatures, called shriekers, are bipedal, but blind and deaf. They see through infrared sensors on their head. And they reproduce asexually, so as they eat, they birth more shriekers. Bert, Earl, Grady, and oil company scientist Kate, played by Helen Shaver, find themselves trapped without ammo and without transportation. They trick the Shriekers into going into a shed, not knowing that the shred is filled with grain, and the Shriekers begin to multiply exponentially. Because they're gremlins! To save everyone, Bert camouflages himself by being sprayed with CO2 from a fire extinguisher, goes in the shed, and sets a bomb. The explosion kills all the Shriekers, As credits roll. And this movie starts the way I felt the first one should. Yeah, you get a kill right away. Let's get a kill. Yeah, but it also starts, we're told, we need an intertitle to tell us, this is an oil field, because all we really see are a bunch of barrels and, like, a jungle gym that's supposed to be a pipe. Here's the thing. I think this really was an oil field. This was all filmed up by where I grew up in northern L.A. County, Back when it was, like, in in the 50s and 60s and 70s, it was just, like, this barren place where there was a few oil fields and then, you know, suburbs came in and built the town up. But there's still a lot of oil rigs, and I've ran around all those as a teenager. Like, we go out there late at night and, and hang out in the oil fields. Yeah, they're still drilling in L.A. I remember being surprised when I would come across the pumps and be like, oh, look at that. But, like, there's no pump here. No, this they're saying this is like the biggest oil field in Mexico. It is tiny. I think we see a couple of pipes and that's it. Do you know about the biggest oil field in Mexico? This really could be it. I would expect a few more rigs pumping oil out of the ground, not just a few pipes. I would expect if this were in theaters that there would be more people, a full refinery, like actual oil, like on like just the attention to detail is not there. They have one guy running across some barrels, having them being knocked down by something underground. Again, the visual tricks that we saw last time, but it does feel smaller. Without a doubt, this feels direct-to-video. I don't see theatrical at all. Oh, see, I'm having fun with this guy crawling around the pipes, then he's just trying to jump from barrel to barrel, and then he gets eaten? He's like a Mexican Mario on those barrels. That's all (laughs) I could think of. Throwing him at Donkey Kong. Yes. We're not talking about quality and having fun. I'm just saying this would not, if I had just paid, what would a ticket price be? $10 to go to this at night? No, this is direct-to-video. They were right to release it as such. 
I'll say this, Stuart. Maybe you're right, because I have very low expectations for these sequels. I was shocked the first time I watched this, and, like, a real graboid puppet comes out of the ground and eats a dude. We're not recycling footage. We're not trying to cheap out somehow. Like, they still have those puppets, or they probably had to make new ones. This is filmed so much later, and I know how that foam deteriorates and everything. Like, I don't know. Maybe I mean easy lay. Like, oh, you still got practical effects. You're, you're still showing an effort. You've got me to pay attention with this opening scene. They get me with the next scene. The one that makes me laugh is we think Earl Bassett is trying to lasso a horse. He's like... Come here, wildfire. And no, when we actually see what he invested all his money in and what he's been doing since the first movie, he bought an ostrich farm. Emus. We know how much you love big birds, Stuart. Yeah, I again, it is like, I mean, it's just funny. I think it's funny because it was a trend that was happening. It's also funny because, yes, I just hate those damn birds. It's also <laughs> funny because these are both males and he's trying to mate them is what I read online. The females are much smaller and completely gray so he's trying to get two males to have sex and of course just visually speaking we don't i don't know this at this point i don't know that there's going to be a new kind of monster but they're setting us up for the body type of the creature that he's going to be fighting he's actually maybe better at his job having done this ostrich stuff because it's not going to be worms underground for very much longer yeah is it even a tremors film at a certain point i wonder but it doesn't take long before A man from the oil company gets a taxi ride up with a Wayne Newton ad on top of the taxi. Yeah, Grady, the taxi driver, is a huge Valen Earl fan. And so when he found out that Senor Ortega is looking for Earl, he's like, oh, I'll drive you all the way out to perfection. Yeah, I mean, again, there's no direct flights, right? I mean, you'd come in through (laughs) Vegas, cheap flights usually. Do you see a landing strip in perfection? So the fact that the cab driver was willing to do it is a testament to how excited he was to make the pilgrimage and sets up the whole idea of it was good for some of them. Kevin Bacon is not here because he actually took that success, got married presumably to Rhonda, and is off living his happily ever after. And Earl was, I guess this was his plan, you know, the big thinker that he was, invest all my winnings in an ostrich farm. Well, it sounds like he didn't get very many because he didn't have a lawyer. He has a Graboids arcade game in his trailer, which I loved. I love just seeing a physical arcade game. And yet he's like, when Grady is asking him about all that fat arcade game money, he didn't get a cut. He just got a arcade game he didn't make the money he apparently did a reebok commercial yeah they, that reebok commercial where they're just running i guess and they did make the cover of what is it people or time magazine or maybe both like we see that in the background they made people which he has up twice they wanted to make sure you saw this and they had world geographic maybe they couldn't get the permission to use national geographic but graboids are too big for the nation you gotta go world world geographic yeah <laughs> Yeah, but these are fulfilling jokes of the last movie, and it's just kind of snarky good humor. I mean, again, it, it fits and expands upon the Gen X sensibility of the time. It's I think we, as an audience, are more accustomed to this kind of silly movie than we might have been in 1990. I think it's not surprising that test audiences like this stuff. I think this early stuff, even though I know I'm being told smaller movie and we could only get the other actor who wasn't as much <laughs> a hero, I'm thinking this could still work. And do you think actor Christopher 
Garten was as excited as Grady to be in a movie because I think this might be his largest role ever. Is he the Fred reward of this movie? <laughs> because oh boy, Grady, I is this a '90s movie? Yes, because of Grady, <laughs> like it shouts it. Every stereotype of Gen X is shoved into this guy. The fingerless gloves, the hanging <laughs> open shirt. Yeah, it feels like he's less doing Kevin Bacon than Matthew Lillard. Like, he feels <laughs> yes. geeky in a way that Kevin Bacon was more, like, yokel. And so it is a different kind of performance. It plays off of Fred Ward in similar ways, but it does bring its own energy. I don't know who this actor is. Maybe you've seen him a lot. He was in Black Swan. I mean. As sexy waiter Scott. Okay. He was in Mother. As adulterer? <laughs> Does he know Darren Aronofsky? Clearly. He must. <laughs> he was Mike in Flight Plan? <laughs> Is he not going to be in with the rest of the series? I'm assuming he's their guy. Nope. No. Okay. He's one and done. <laughs> Again, Michael Gross. Just remember that. Michael Gross. Okay, so Fred Ward and this guy won't be making another appearance. Correct. If you Spoiler, no more Grady, no more Earl after this. Well, I asked for the spoilers, but I don't know. Again, I have no idea what's coming next. I just knew that, yes, Michael Gross was going to be in this one, but not here in the beginning. Wisely, they're holding back, and they're really trying to set up the relationship that was foundational in the first movie. We want to have two yokel guys bickering and and becoming friends and going to Mexico to handle this graboid problem. I'm going to blame Garten because I don't know him as an actor, and I saw what Fred Ward could do with Kevin Bacon last time. These two lack that chemistry. I know they try to build chemistry by showing these guys doing rock, paper, scissors, and Earl is teaching Grady how to do it. Yeah, Grady's so young, he doesn't know how to play the game. I mean, come on, we played this since we were kids. Everyone knows how to play rock, paper, scissor. I feel like the movie is trying to have Earl form Grady into the new Val. And I also feel like the filmmakers want to make Grady the new Val. Sorry, Grady, you are no Val. No, he's, he's too sitcom. Put him on a TV show. That's where he belongs. And yet, again, for the downsized expectations of direct-to-video, he feels exactly like a fake Kevin Bacon. Like, this is what you would get in the... Like, it's just weird that Fred Ward came back, is kind of what I'm struck with. Is that, oh, like, it's the only thing about it that makes me feel like it could repeat some of the magic about last week. Otherwise, I would expect everyone here to be not as good as Grady. And, I mean, Fred Ward had worked constantly between Tremors and Tremors 2, but I don't think he was above direct-to-video Tremors 2. No, no, no. Again, it seems right. What I'm going to say is, given the fact that this is what they were offered, you're doing this for $4 million, and it's going to have to, you know, go straight to tape, I feel like they have thought about the things that they could recreate and done a fairly good job of making me smile, even though I recognize lesser. They wrote this script with $17 million in mind. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like they wrote Grady's role for Val and then just changed some of the dialogue up top and... What Grady does, Val would have done, and it would explain why he and Earl get along so well. There were also a lot of action scenes that had to be cut, just can't afford it, can't afford it. So I think that's why, in the beginning, 
We have a lot of people at this Mexican oil field. And then they just disappear. We never see them killed. We never see them come back. I would have expected they were building up a body count. We don't even have a lot of people. Yeah, what do you mean a lot of people? (laughs) Yeah, I believe what is said is they're asking questions. There's only four people here now, but full staff was less than the town population of perfection. I think there's nine people total. I thought that was just in the science department. No, six got eaten, and so now four are left. Right, in the science department. Yeah, they gotta have more than nine for the biggest oil field in Mexico. In the science department? I figure you'd have riggers and drillers and workmen. I didn't think you'd have scientists. Yeah, you have your head engineer. I think of an engineer for an oil field. Again, someone that's very high level if they're the head engineer. Pedro here, he he feels like he's a maintenance guy. I don't feel like he's the head engineer of the largest oil field in Mexico. He's not just the head engineer. He's the only engineer. Again, there's (laughs) nobody here. They had to send them home because they were getting eaten. This can't be theatrical. You can't think of this. It has been reduced in a way where what we're seeing on screen doesn't have plausibility. Like it just, it only works if you take the limited expectations of it being, oh, this straight to tape thing. Again, the stigma of that works in putting a Band-Aid over what is otherwise a bleeding problem. Also, not a lot happens in the film. It does feel like it takes a little while to get things going where we're being introduced too long to too few characters. It's going to be about at the 30-minute mark that they're going to finally start this hunt. We're being introduced to Dr. Kate Riley, and she's giving them a seismograph that they can use to track the underground graboids. Yeah, they got a little monitor to put in their car with Atari graphics. Yes, also known as an Atari 2600. Yes. yes it's, uh, <laughs> which, again, is part of the charm Yeah, of the, the retro and these little blocky... They're leaning in. What could be a problem for them, they're leaning into it, and this feels like like the TV show. You say this is going to end up being a Tremors TV show. This feels like the pilot. <laughs> this feels like what could get pulled off on television. But with the writers and the snark of the original movie. What's saving this movie is that you have all of this commentary about Fred Ward getting cheated out of his profits and the banter and the and the chemistry is not as good. But I feel like some of the jokes and the general vibe of things, once they go out into the field and start hunting again using remote control cars with bombs on it, it works like sketch comedy. Did you guys recognize Helen Shaver? We talked about her recently. I know she's in a very famous lesbian movie called Desert Hearts. Did she do something else? She was... Paul Newman's girlfriend in The Color of Money. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sure. And The Believers. Actually, now that I think about it, she was the love interest of Martin Sheen in a killer Santeria cult movie from the 80s. That's it. That's I'm exhausted. But I will say this about her. I feel like she has better chemistry for, with Fred Ward than th- this Grady dude does. I actually feel like they could have just skipped Grady and had him and her go out in the truck, and that would have worked just as well. I do feel like they maybe dumbed it down a little. Like, Grady keeps saying, oh, it's all about sound. We had to hook these chains up to the back of your truck for sound. That's how they hear things. Well, no, it's really vibration, but whatever. I I guess that's a minor quibble. But, yeah, I like that when people get married, I don't know if they still do this, but, you know, you used to tie, like, tin cans to their rear bumper, so they'd pull that along. They got noisemakers on the back of their trucks like that with these big chains. And then, yeah, I love how they go fishing here with that remote control truck. I wondered how many remote control trucks they had. I realized, because when they meet Senor Ortega, you know, they 
they were able to ask for anything that they wanted from the Mexican military. And Ortega does say something like, oh, this is very interesting what you've asked for. And I guess the joke was they yeah, had to get like 100 remote control trucks to drive around. Again, if the game name of the game is like, don't touch the floor, it's lava. If they're just asking us to get into the child mentality, this feels right. This feels funny that that's the bait. Because that would bait me. I would have fun with bombs on remote control trucks. Like, that's just a fun thing to do. And they kind of heightened the stakes because last time we were in Nevada, there's a lot of rocks. You could avoid problems by going up into the mountains. Here, what we learn, I learned the definition of the word alluvial. (laughs) I didn't know what that was. (laughs) But basically, it means that there's no rocks underneath here that can prevent these worms from burrowing forward. They will not run into something and die. Those mountains are hills, and there's no safe place to go. Yeah, they do find a rock to have some lunch on at one point, but other than that, yeah, it's pretty green pastures, and it is a little disappointing. They have a montage of graboid hunting, and we get to see nine explosions, but most of them don't appear to have the slime and graboid parts. No, they do not have money for that, unless they're going to show the guts falling onto the truck or onto an act or something. Otherwise, it's just a big explosion in the air. Yeah, dirt. Yeah, 30 minutes of this, and I'm like, this is cute, but where is this going? Again, TV series. This feels like a sitcom, and a sitcom is 30 minutes, and it's time for the episode to end. We really need, I had forgotten about, but we really need Bert to come back when he does. Yeah, I I remember the first time I watched this, I was starting to get upset because I'm like, are they just doing the first Tremors? Because they keep saying, oh, remember that they get smarter, they get smarter. I'm like, are are they just going to do Tremors but in Mexico this time? I don't want that. I need something more. So I I know I was getting antsy the first time I watched this around the 30-minute mark. I can't say I'm getting antsy, but I'm noticing the slowness. You know, I'm enjoying the humor. Like, when Fred pulls out this umbrella that looks more like a parasol than something a man would carry in the rain, and Grady forgets and he gets just covered in the slime, I thought, you know, the worms aren't the only thing getting smarter. Earl got smarter. He brought an umbrella with him to do this. And so I'm enjoying what I'm watching, but I am wondering where it's going and when it will get there. And when Bert shows up at the 30-minute mark looking really depressed, we're going to find out his wife, Heather, Reba McIntyre, left him, left the franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought that actually worked to their advantage. Again, what would normally be one of the highlights of the first movie, not coming back. Oh, I'm really mad at this film. But I just love the fact that, like, he knows it's over because she asked for her HK-91 to be mailed. Like, they, they, they end up having good lines. And seeing him in this depressed state makes him sort of like a good frenemy, really, for Fred Ward. I feel like he and Earl have it just those two and then the female geologist. It's the young kid that I feel like is is messing up the chemistry. Like, this is funny to think about Michael Gross now wants to get as much or more money. 50000 for every one you kill. Yeah, it's a, a good percentage. I don't know how you prove how many you killed, though, though, when you blow them up. You know what? Dr. Riley, Kate, is watching back at her station. She had a count of how many were left when they came back, so she may be watching as they blip off. So she's verifying. And I'm not worried about that stuff. You guys can worry about that if you want. It's the honor system, and <laughs> the game is who's going to make the most money. 
I, I do think it's cute that Grady thinks six hundred thousand dollars is enough to open their own theme park. Right. As they discuss what they're gonna do with the money. Right. And Michael Gross here is like he comes more prepared. Like they had a case of dynamite. He's got an entire Hummer full of it, plus all of these MREs. Yeah, he's like, you could ask the Mexican army for anything and, and that's all you got? <laughs> like, look at this. Like his truck is so big it sets off the seismographs and they think it's a giant gravoid coming towards them. And he's here for a long time. He's brought food that has a ten year shelf life. I mean, these MREs meals ready to eat like he thinks i found my calling like i I don't want to sit in my bunker alone anymore i'm going to make a a mint here and uh yeah friendly competition air quotes around the friendly with earl earl certainly feeling like the pressure of like wait a minute i needed your help but i didn't want you to top me and it suddenly becomes around the 45 minute mark The idea of being able to catch one live becomes much more tempting for them. They hear one howling. They find one kind of half submerged. And they were offered 100,000 live. And so that's also, it's also a dick measuring contest, though, because they don't just want the extra 50 because they've killed a ton. But they want to be the first one to get it live instead of Bert. Yeah, that feels like a good game to introduce at this point. And I guess I was just thinking of Ripley too much. Like, you want to get one of these alive? Why? That's that's the worst idea. You know what kind of killers these are? Like, with the alien. Like, But no, they don't have a problem with that. And I get it. Earl, he's on bad times. I was surprised that Bert would, would be willing to get one live as well, though. Again, he'll do anything to get the other guys. I mean, like, that's... I think that that's healthy. You needed more competition in the first movie. They were all so nice. I feel like it's good to have this friendly rivalry. It's It's good for them. What I feared... And it doesn't happen, thank God. But what I feared when they saw that one howling on the the road, oh, they're going to make it its pet. Like, it's going to be like the good (laughs) trimmer that follows them around. They're going to ride on its back like in Dune? Yeah, like that it would end up being like this cute sidekick or something like that. I just, I was like, oh, please don't go in that direction. And it doesn't. Yeah, I thought, and I guess it kind of is, but I thought it was laying eggs. I'm like, oh, it must be pregnant. Because again, you need to have some kind of development if you're just going to do the first film. But in Mexico now, like, I'm going to be real upset. Like, I needed something to change. I thought I was ahead of it because I really felt like I knew it was going to give birth and something new. We'd see the baby ones. Remember last time I thought they were small ones and then there was the big one? Well, here I'm like, okay, now we're going to see small ones as the babies come out. But I'm not quite sure if this graboid had babies or had a parasite, because I'm trying to figure out the life cycle of a graboid, and I'd be okay. No, this is the life cycle. They they are a worm first, and I guess up to three babies grow in it. And eat their way out. Or we're told they're hermaphrodites. By this point, Kate has come up with a theory that these are Precambrian. These are the oldest forms of life on the Earth. She's got a fossil to back that up. One (laughs) fossil. (laughs) One fossil, which is more than Rhonda had. They predate the dinosaurs. They out-survived the dinosaurs because they're underground, I guess. Ice Age doesn't bother them. Sure. Earl has to throw away his Space Invaders (laughs) theory on that. Now, he was the one advocating they're from outer space. Yes. And so they have up to three babies grow in them and eventually eat their way out. They're like the yolk in an egg for a chicken. I don't know. I think it is wise to have something new. Up to this point, it felt like they were doing the same bits with lesser effect. And when we see Bulbasaur, 
I'm like, okay, whatever the effects, I understand. I forgive. Again, B-movie. These are stop motion, right? No, these are... In these early scenes, they're puppets. Yeah, there's definitely some puppets. There were some scenes where they looked CGI. I couldn't tell if it was just because of flat lighting, because they were green screened in or something, but... Oh, no, you can tell when they go CGI. Anytime they're running, moving, or climbing, then they are CGI. I don't know, but they got a lot of puppets of these screechers, and I love them. Yeah, I love the puppets. At any point, did they dress up an ostrich? Because, I mean, again, they're meant to look like that. That's why they do that ostrich. I'm like, if you have an ostrich that you spent the money to bring on set, why not put dress him up as this graboid or shrieker, as we're calling it, and, and see it run a little bit? Maybe that's animal cruelty. I don't know. But I'm cool with the idea that it's something new, and I think that it helps the movie that we're learning something about a life cycle. It makes it feel a little bit more tethered to Alien, and the idea that these new movies, future sequels, there could even be further evolutions. Oh, you have no idea, Stuart. You have no idea. But what I don't understand here is, if a graboid gives birth to a shrieker, I can go with that thinking that a Shrieker is a baby Graboid. But we're going to find out Shriekers give birth to Shriekers because they're like Tribbles. They eat and then they reproduce asexually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a whole other thing. It's caterpillar to butterfly. And then if the butterfly eats and pukes, there's another butterfly. Right, exactly, yes. They are leaving behind. So when do they become a Graboid? Maybe there are only so many Graboids and once they're done, they're done. Maybe there are no more. But that's not a life cycle. How the... Okay. It's called Darwinian evolution. They are getting over their old self and adapting to Mexico. Because this is how <laughs> they need to roll south of the border. You understand my question and I'll move on. I think we will get more insight as we go along with these films about the life cycle of a graboid. Again, I ask almost nothing of these movies other than that they keep me entertained. I'm not expecting, again, with these writers, with this premise, it's not going to go deep. I do wish it were bloodier. I can honestly say we are getting some kills in the dark here. At a certain point, Earl is driven off the road and he's waiting for a tow. And I see some hands, severed hands hanging on that truck. But like, weren't we owed uh, seeing that assistant being devoured or something? Or that's Pedro. That's the engineer. Yeah, that was Pedro who was coming to tow him out. Yeah, I was a little disappointed in the lack of kills of this. Yeah, they don't want to reveal the Shriekers yet. So, again, they're hitting something ate their way out of that Graboid. And now here's Pedro's arms hanging from the truck. His body is gone. Yeah, no, I get that. But and maybe part of the problem is before they could make that inference because they strike from underground. These Graboids, by no longer being subterranean, you need to have another thing like being sucked underground maybe it is the smell maybe it is the infrared you know they have predator vision at some point i just felt like we needed a new visual language for seeing them attack without seeing them okay so you needed some kind of graboid vision again where we are going through the dirt yeah it's just something to make it distinctive and fun and again if they're going to look like this you don't want to show them too much i i don't know if it would have made it distinctive but yeah use the infrared vision it's not distinctive because we've seen predator movies use that but that would have been a nice way to go i love when i looked up how they they did this effect that what they did is they had the actors wear red leotards and then up the contrast and added a little animation. <laughs> <laughs> 
I just want to see Fred Ward running in a red leotard. But we just get two kills, right? There's this engineer guy who becomes severed hands. And then we have some assistant who's drawing Kate's ear off in the window. And he just kind of gets sucked down because one walks up on him. Mostly off screen. I mean, you cut to see his legs, but you never see the actor with a graboid or a shrieker. Well, I guess what I'm saying is, We had all of this great way of visualizing things moving underground without having to see it. The first movie did it, and this new one's using Atari graphics, and I'm going with it. But now that they actually have to have things above ground attacking people and killing them in interesting ways, you almost need something to disguise them, like maybe they're invisible, or I don't know. Yeah, the first time we really see them is even before that attack with Kate and the assistant, is the radio station, the the repeater antenna has been destroyed, and that's when Earl and Grady first see them, and then we see the beginning of an ambush with... Bert, like they've tricked him and they're all attacking him and then of course it cuts away was the thinking i mean jurassic park probably had to be on the mines when they were green lighting that's what i was thinking when i saw the moaning worm well just with the idea that we're going to give them 17 million and maybe releases in theaters that had to be partly motivated because this same company made jurassic park and knows how much money there is to be made with a monster movie in the 90s Clearly, this is the Velociraptor, right? This is what they thought that they could build upon, what Spielberg had done. We're not doing Jaws anymore. We're doing Jurassic Park and the Velociraptor. Would more money help? I mean, if you wanted to see more people get attacked or some blood, then sure. Yes, more people getting attacked would be good. Having better CGI for these Graboids would be great. I don't know, it's... You're saying this was done in 94. I think that's pretty good CGI for 94. But it was released in 96, and you could have upgraded it. Yeah, it was never going to look as good as Jurassic Park. And I want to be clear. They look bad in the way that, like, Claymation and Tim Burton... Yeah, that's why I thought they were stop motion. Yeah, they have a Tim Burton charm to them. Sometimes you like things because they do have seams. And it helps emphasize the B-movie quality of it. I guess I'm not really trying to attack the design. That's working enough for me. When I bring up these Velociraptors, I guess I'm really talking about, like, don't you want to see kids in the kitchen outrunning them? Don't you want to see them in full ostrich run? Don't you want to see them, yeah, eat that guy, not have him pulled out of the window, but see him torn to pieces? I feel like it doesn't have to be blood, per se, but I want to... Enjoy the kills the way that I did in the first movie. I don't think there was that many kills in the first movie. Maybe that was a problem, but yeah, these could have been more violent. The first one had a body count of 10. This one has a body count of 3. Okay, we didn't didn't see the dude in the tower die. Okay, 9. We don't see some of the construction workers die. We just see scalps and bloody meat. Like, we don't see every death in that. Again, it's not necessarily about savoring red splatter. Again, there's just something to watching the moments where people are attacked. I mean, it's the shark attack. You just, the the buildup to that moment and the skill in which you visualize that moment is everything. It's what makes the first movie exciting. And that's missing here. That's why, again, I can't support the idea this could ever be theatrical. Until you're willing to give up the money to give us those moments and have more people here, like a lot more people here, more people than were in perfection, then I feel like, yeah, this is just always going to look straight to video. I agree. It's just there's not enough here to warrant a running time that's longer than the last film. 
Can't be much. What, about 10 minutes? 10 minutes more. But still, there's 10 minutes more with a lot less money, I, and I'm feeling it. Yeah. I think when things are feel episodic, and we did have lots of montages and lots of bits about, oh, our boombox got eaten, and now we're hearing the song come at us, and all that stuff. Like Again, good ideas, but it feels really scattered, and it feels like they could be getting to this moment earlier, and we could be having a lot more kills or adventures. They don't Let's get away from the idea of killing. Maybe they don't kill a lot of people in Tremors, but we could have more people on roofs. We could have more stunts in action and savor that, and it would be a better movie for it if it had that budget, if it had that vision. If it had better than Atari 2600 graphics. Ah, oh, I love that. I don't want to see no PS2 graphics on that monitor. So what I'm hearing, Jacob, is that you feel like this is just as satisfying as last week. Nope, nope. Not saying just as satisfying. I'm saying I am surprised by the level of quality. I am surprised by the budget that they could actually have practical effects in this. And I guess even some CGI. Like, I am shocked that it looks as good as it does. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll back you up on that. It's better than I thought it was going to be. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, I thought it was going to be the dumps. After Deep Blue Sea 2 and all of the stuff that we've had to do, yes, I'm entertained enough. Yeah. And the actors bring fun to the screen. The actors seem game. I th- miss some of the chemistry of the last one. But once Bert comes in, I think it's a lot better. Yeah. And Bert eventually brings back one captured. He's the one that actually succeeds but not a Graboid, a Shrieker. He gets the little one. Yeah, this is where we really learn about them. Like, it's because he can do that and experiment on them. We learn about their vision. They can't really hear, so you can scream all day long next to them. And they can't see. Yes, not in any, like, normal terms. But if, if heat. If you exude a body heat. Yeah, they're like, head opens up, and there's like, I don't know, their brain senses the heat or something. I'm not sure what that pulpy mass is when their head opens up, but it looks like their brain. No, it's their infrared sensor mm-hmm that's just the sensor okay I, again i kept thinking about bulbazar it looked like a flower <laughs> it was just a pretty little <laughs> yes. flower on my head i felt like they should have been harder to kill i mean i get what the thing is here is as you said they're gremlins or critters or whatever it's going to be that they outnumber you instead of being hard to kill but i thought it would have been nice if you had to sharpshoot them in the sensor to kill them again there's not any moment here that i dislike but i feel like there's so much more with more money and more time we could savor all this experimentation and and having one in captivity no sooner have they had that idea than we find out there's another one that was hanging on Bert's undercarriage that has burst through the window and before you know it it's birthing it's eaten one of the MREs and uh, we find out that food kind of like a gremlin after midnight just makes it produce an offspring yeah he had 120 pounds of the MREs I'm shocked that there's not more I think there's like what six that pop out of that garage but I do love the scene where we get the puppet spitting up the baby I mean that is a good gross graphic with all the slime yeah again all of these are good ideas if the execution is wobbly but the ideas are good and it makes you wish someone had given this more love and made it theatrical in its presentation yeah there's not a lot of there there you know what i'm saying which is yeah you get some antics where they like they're walking with doors in front of them so their heat can't be sensed and there's a joke about bert sniping one of them and the bullet is so strong it like goes so far and through everything and and hits the truck's engine so they can't drive away i liked that scene i loved that moment where everybody's looking at bert and bert's like how was i to know 
Yeah, you know what? We can joke all day long about Michael Gross needing this franchise. Where would it be without him? Like, it, this movie <laughs> does need him. He does save many of these scenes. We'll see if you feel like that with the franchise, but I agree with you here. Like, he, he's still good. He's still entertaining in this one as, again, a supporting actor. We'll, we'll see when he takes over the franchise if I still feel that way. But as a supporting actor, yeah, he, he's tamed down enough where his shtick is funny. And we do have some rooftop downtime. I like Earl getting his wish. You know, he made the statement early on amid all of his paraphernalia taped up to the wall was a centerfold of October 1974 Playmate. And it's a stretch, but I like it. It was there to remind him of what he couldn't have. Right. And so that Kate is that person and that she grew from being the kind of woman he doesn't normally like, the blonde bimbo that he says, I have no use for, into the girl that knows how to handle herself, that she can be both. Uh, All of that was nice. I thought that, again, the actors sell me on something that's thinly written, but uh, comes off pretty well. I saw it coming, you know? I just, I felt like it had to be the case that Scientist was far too attractive and age-appropriate to be a playmate in 74. I was like, yeah, I bet that's where it goes. But, I mean, again, that's no fault on them doing the obvious sometimes is exactly what we want yes sometimes listen screenwriters just do the fundamentals if you're doing a bad b movie like that's all i need or just stick to the fundamentals of storytelling and it should work it's surprising how often that doesn't happen and agreed but you need a twist you need to have something beyond just the fundamentals otherwise you're just stuck watching the most boring movie ever made Again, for me, the adjustment I'd make is forget having the fake Kevin Bacon, have her having been in more of the adventures, having them more time together, that would make the love story even more fun. All they needed was the rivalry of Earl versus Bert. We didn't need to have that third wheel in the mix. Maybe they wanted somebody to appeal to a younger audience since everybody else is really old. Yeah, that's why Grady's here. This is to get those teenagers to rent this film. I guess, but did he have any pull? I mean, if you got Kirk Cameron or... Somebody from an 80s, you know, Charles Bridges from different strokes. Well, we knew the we would know that this is an evolution if this was Kirk Cameron starring in it. <laughs> right. Good point. I'll leave it at that. Anyway, we're at the climax, which means we're covering Fred Ward in fire extinguisher exhaust <laughs> CO2. I don't think this would work. I kind of love it, though. I mean, again. Oh, no, I love how it looks. It, it, it's campy. I just don't think it works in real life this way with a fire extinguisher. All the monsters are in the warehouse with the bomb, so they need to be able to cover the heat signature long enough to set that detonation and wipe them out. And we get a little bit of antics here as he has to walk between them and be very careful not to hit them like they did in the last one. And the CO2 starts wearing off as he's on the truck and we get the heat vision of one of the shriekers as he starts seeing fred ward's ass warm up yeah again all of this stuff conceptually is exactly what you would want and i do like this end joke like earl's gonna set off a bomb he finally gets out of there as the shriekers are going crazy because 
Bert said he had something in that truck. He's like, well, I'm hoping I get to take that home. But I guess that's the bomb that's going to get set off. And he's like, no, we got to keep running. We see everyone hide behind one building. And he's like, keep going. This is going to be a big explosion. (laughs) It takes out the whole oil field like a freaking nuke. It leaves a crater. Yeah, the biggest oil field in Mexico is now the biggest crater. You think they're going to still get paid their 50,000 each? Yeah, I'm not sure. But the inference is anyway that uh, they're going to waste their winnings again. Maybe each time Earl and or whoever the main star is they get their money and then they blow it on it sounds like a theme park it sounds like they're going to open it up Jurassic Park with uh, Graboids <laughs> maybe that's why Michael Gross keeps coming back he gets paid for tremors and then goes and blows the money and then he gets paid for the next tremors <laughs> but should there be more tremors or was this aftershock enough Jacob Stewart do you recommend tremors too, Jacob I mean, I kind of showed my hand because I do feel maybe because it's just so much better than I expected. Like, yeah, you could have probably put this out in theaters and it for four million bucks. You probably would have made a, a nice little profit, especially if there was some kind of cult following on VHS. Yes, it's a smaller film. It is an aftershock. Aftershocks could still be scary, though, Stuart. I've been through lots of earthquakes out here in Southern California. You never know if that aftershock is actually the big one or or if it's just actually an aftershock that's coming after the big one you felt. So they could still be off. But here's the thing with this film is, again, I said, oh, they're just hunting tremors again like the last one. They, they better do something different. And then they do. They introduce the Shrieker, this this evolution to the Graboid. And then they're going along and like they're like, oh, they attack the radio antenna. They're super smart. They know how to strand us. I'm like, oh, you're, you're going to tell me these are like super smart now? And then we find out, no, they're just very stupid. And because the radio antenna gave off heat, they attacked it because they thought it was food. So again, every time they started to do something that annoyed me, they, they addressed it and they, they reined it in and gave uh, an acceptable answer for, again, another B monster movie. And I think, again, if you like that first Tremors, this is not going to be the same experience, but I think this this is a nice, you know, to that fast food hamburger, this is a nice side of fries. It's, it's going to complement that meal. It goes along with it. It doesn't feel egregiously cheap or direct to video like in the worst way or or sci-fi movie like in the in the worst way possible it's it goes down pretty easy it looks pretty good for what it is like i'm satisfied with it i got what i guess i whatever i could get out of a tremor sequel you could get that with tremors too so it's a recommend stewart yeah a downgrady from the first tremors for sure and part of that is is because they don't have the same budget. And then part is maybe the premise is just wearing a little thin. Like maybe we've just kind of seen a lot of this before and it's just not going to be as, as fresh and as exciting as the first time. If I were that that universal executive and I watched this test audience screening, my instinct would be if this is what we can do on four million, let's dig up twelve million. Because I do think this movie needs a visual overhaul. I do feel like they just start over and do it right. This is the test footage to tell them there was a market and an audience for Tremors too. But, you know, in the middle of this movie, Bert, Michael Gross's character, says something to the effect of, I do what I can with what I got. And that's what they've done. It's what they have done 
they pull off, and I think it's still a recommendable, fun movie. If you can accept the premise of the dad of the Family Ties show working in reduced capacity and still like wanting to play Floor is Lava with him, then I think there's enough creativity here. There's enough enthusiasm from the actors to say that, yeah, it's it's okay. The water is is still nice, and if they can stay here, if this is what a made-to-video Tremors movie is, this will be a fun franchise. I will enjoy them all. And again, I recommend three for three, two movies in a row. It is a smaller film. It just has a smaller cast, and it has smaller creatures. But it is the cast that keeps it going, and... You gotta give it all to, really, Fred Ward, and yeah, Michael Gross, I laughed at the thought of him, and he is great in both movies. I love him in this one with all of his ammunition, and his meal packs, and his survivalist stuff. He's better than the monsters, as far as entertainment goes. But, while I love the puppet stuff, the CGI, when that happened, when you see them, like, forming a pyramid of... Shriekers? This is sci-fi channel level bad CGI. It's 1994 direct-to-video CGI. Right, which makes me wonder, should they have done CGI? But I do think the difference is sci-fi would put this on the air today, and this was 1996. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Sci-fi 2020, are they doing Tremor Shrieker Island? Because it might look like this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is literally how Sharktopus looked, so... I'll give them a little bit of a pass because I do really like the puppet work. I like that they've evolved the Graboid. I'm still questioning the life cycle. I don't think they thought that through. No. Oh, oh, we're going to get a lot more exploration of it, Arnie. Just you wait. Probably not going to be satisfied. (laughs) Yes, get your pen and paper out for all your complaints. Be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. I think that's the situation I'm in, the way you're laughing. But... You know what? I had a good time watching this. Not as good as part one, but still a good time and enough to give this a green arrow. Not as good as part one, but you know what came out the same year? Lost World. And I would rather return to this theme park than that one. Oof. Yeah, anytime. Oh, yeah. This is so much better than that Spielberg film. No kidding. I mean, even at its reduced rate, they've managed to one-up Spielberg at last. And maybe they can keep coming. I mean, the next one's called A Return to Perfection. This could be the best one yet. (laughs) How do you get that assumption out of that title? (laughs) Perfection? That's what you're going off of? Yeah, it's going to be perfect. Okay. (laughs) In the meantime, we've got a new movie to plug, Most Wanted. If you guys sign up for the Now Playing In Focus newsletter, you are going to be in a drawing in which you could win a download for a new movie with Josh Hartnett. And if you're already signed up, you're already entered. And we haven't seen this yet. And, you know, just to be clear, we're not taking money for this. We've just were offered a chance to give away some movie downloads and thought you might have fun. So this is a chance for you guys to watch it and tell us if this is a movie you recommend. And this Friday, if you want to have a little bit more horror in the desert, we're reviewing for our donors the Wes Craven classic, The Hills Have Eyes. Yeah, the first one, 1977. This is really where Craven got his reputation as being a horror master. I mean, Last House is what it is, but this is the one that I think he started to develop as a storyteller and a guy that's going to scare you. So 
yeah, let's see how well he does this Friday. You can find out all the details by going to nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. You bet. Thanks for listening to Now Playing, the podcast hotter than a 50 cal on full auto. We killed him. We killed it. Fuck you! <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. Now this is low. We have got to set our sights a little bit higher. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Nobody handles garbage better than we do. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. See, we plan ahead. That way we don't do anything right now. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Let's be honest, you've got a lot of red in your ledger. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Is there some higher force at work here? I mean, are we asking too much of life? You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. I would venture that it matters not how you spend your money, but how you spend your life. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. I mean, we could make some real money on this thing. We could get in People Magazine. You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. We don't have much of a budget, you know. It's not a high priority in Washington, okay? Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. You have asked for some uh, <laughs> unusual things. Find the details on our website. Oh, I bet you made a fortune off this. Well, somebody did. Sure wasn't me. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. Lead, follow, or get out of my way. I'll lead. That's not an option. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Last check. How many Twitter followers did you have, huh? Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. You're underachieving big time, my man. You should be a global brand. Come on. Associate produced by Jason Latham. There he is. Huh? The man, the myth, the legend. Now Playing is edited by Stephen, Heath, and Arnie. Doing what I can with what I got. Now playing credits read by Brock. I just bet that you could charm a cow right out of her calf with those fancy words. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. I feel I've not been privy to critical, most needful information. 
Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. But I do not dwell on that over which I have no control. That's great. I have to do all the dwelling. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. You've been flipping off the feds longer than Wesley Snipes. It's got to be a record. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2020, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Your little jungle boat ride is over, mister. Time to fish or cut bait. Again played by what's his name? Fred, Fred Ward. <laughs> I actually said again played by Earl Bassett in my plot <laughs> Well <laughs> Yes. It allows us to do the shows we do every Tuesday and keep your iPhone tremoring. Trembling? Is tremoring a word? It's not a word. No. But I'm gonna use it anyway. Okay. Yeah, if you want it to tie into this film, you gotta use it. <laughs> Thank you.